Thanks for checking out the Reveal Vineyard podcast. We are a Jesus-centered community in El Mirage, Arizona. We hope through these conversations your spirit will be stirred. For more information, you can visit our website at www.revealvineyard.com. We are on week number two of our series called Forgotten Realm where we are pulling back the curtain and we are looking at the often forgotten or neglected spiritual realm. Uh, Why is it uh, neglected and forgotten? Well, uh, it's largely because of our Western worldview. We talked about this last week. A worldview is the perspective from which we see and interpret life. It is a set of beliefs that define how we view and interact with the world. Think of your worldview. We said last week, think of your worldview as a filter uh, that your experiences pass through. So whatever it is that you experience passes through your worldview that allows you to interpret that experience, which then defines your perceived reality. So depending what your worldview is, how you view the events around you will determine uh, your perceived reality and what is actually taking place. And so since the age of reason or the enlightenment, we have been taught to interpret life uh, naturally. The term is naturalism. In philosophy, naturalism is the idea or belief that only uh, natural as opposed to supernatural or spiritual laws and forces operate in the world. It's the system of thought that all phenomena can be explained in terms of natural law and causes. And so this system of thought Uh, largely permeates our Western culture. This means for many in the Western culture, the idea of the supernatural or the concept of angels or demons or demonic possession or angelic visitation or the concept of spiritual warfare uh, has largely been written off as fairy tales or folklore uh, reserved for the intellectually weak or those who are just a little bit crazy. And so we largely have ruled out this idea of the supernatural realm. Western thinking has a two-tier view of reality. On the bottom is the natural realm, science and natural laws, and then up here is the realm of religion, it's a realm of God and the realm of miracles, but we have excluded the middle or the unseen realm. Pastor Wade Trimmer says this, the Western view has excluded the middle level of the unseen world of angels and demons. It teaches that every effect has a physical cause, If you can't see it, touch it, taste it, smell it, or hear it, it probably doesn't exist. In addition, all phenomena can eventually or will be explained or accounted for scientifically, and reality is material and mechanical. And even if there is a spiritual realm, he says, it has no relation, at least as many in the Western culture believe, has no relation or impact upon the physical realm. So we're going to continue to unpack this idea, and today we're going to look at the misunderstood topic of spiritual warfare. Uh, And before we get into that, let me just say that I'm going to share with you where I land today in my beliefs, in my thoughts on this topic, which are different than if I would have given this talk 10 years ago. And so a lot of this is coming through my own personal wrestling. Some of it you may not agree with, uh, and that's okay. Uh, allow me to unpack it before you throw something at me. Uh, but we're going to kind of uh, unpack this thing and look at this idea of spiritual warfare, uh, how it affects the seen realm that we live in, and then our role in it we'll largely talk about uh, next week. So it's going to be a two-part message today. 
But before we get going, let's pray. Let's ask the Holy Spirit to open our minds, open our, our hearts. And so, Holy Spirit, I pray that you would be upon each person here and that you would move upon us right now. I pray that right now we would begin to sense the presence of the Holy Spirit of God. And so we invite you to come. We invite you to be present. We invite you to stir in us. We invite you to uh, awaken us. I would pray specifically that those who maybe feel very distant from you, those who maybe feel that you have written them off, those who feel like they have done too much and do not deserve your kind graces, I pray you would convince them otherwise. I pray that you would step towards them and that they would sense your calling them in. They would sense the open arms of forgiveness of a Father who loves them. Holy Spirit, speak to us today. Reveal to us your truth. We ask in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's talk about a warfare worldview versus a blueprint worldview. Spiritual warfare in its most simple uh, definition is this. It is the conflict in the invisible realm that affects the visible realm. The conflict in the invisible realm that affects the visible realm, we can say it like this. It is spiritual battles in a spiritual realm that bleeds over to our physical realm. Now, Scripture is really clear on this idea. Scripture is clear of this apocalyptic assumption that creation has been seized by a cosmic force that opposes God and all that is good. And God is now engaged in a spiritual war to reconcile and restore creation back to himself. Scripture is clear on this. This means that every moment, including this moment in time, there is a struggle in an unseen realm between good and evil. There is a conflict taking place between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of this world whose ruler is Satan. Scripture is clear. There are two kingdoms in conflict, a clash between light and darkness. And we are not only caught in the battle, but we actually are engaged in the struggle. And this would explain the darkness that we see and the evil that we experience in the world around us because the world is engaged in a cosmic war between myriad of agents, both human and angelic, both good and evil, that have aligned themselves with either God or Satan. There are two kingdoms in conflict. And the mission of Jesus in coming to earth was not just the cross, and not just forgiveness of sin, the mission of Jesus, we'll talk about this more next week, the mission of Jesus was to uh, reveal and establish the kingdom of God in order to loosen the grip of the opposing kingdom, that grip that, that it has over creation. And so this was the spiritual uh, environment that Jesus stepped into. Paul teaches that through Jesus, God was reconciling creation back to himself. Look at Colossians 1. It says, for God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. And through him, meaning Jesus, through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Paul teaches in Romans 8 that even creation now waits to be liberated from the cosmic conflict that holds it in bondage, that holds it in the bondage of decay. And this is the struggle that we see between these two opposing kingdoms, and the objectives are identified 
as to why Jesus came. Words like reconcile to himself, making peace, and liberating creation. And so what we see from Scripture is that everything in creation is at least to some degree currently out of sync with the Creator and oppressed by hostile powers. That's the environment that we find ourselves in today, regardless of whether you see it, believe it. My belief is that this is the environment we find ourselves in, that everything in creation is at least to some degree currently out of sync with the Creator and oppressed by hostile powers. Now, this is where things will start to get a little bit more difficult for some of us. It brings us to a difficult question. If God is being opposed, which Scripture is clear on, if God is being opposed, if kingdoms are in conflict, does God always get what He wants? If kingdoms are opposed, opposed if there's conflict, if God is being opposed... Does God always get what he wants, and does the will of God always prevail immediately at that moment? If you embrace a warfare worldview of creation, the idea that creation has been seized and that Satan is working to oppose the move and the will of God, I would have to say, which is different than if you asked me this 10 years ago, I would have to say, no, God does not always get what he wants. Now, before you leave and scream heresy, and you throw something at me, we'll unpack this, all right? So just give me, give me some time to explain. And in the end, if you don't agree with me, I don't have any problem with that. We can continue moving forward. Let me just unpack what this looks like. There are many in the Christian faith who would disagree with that statement. And they would say that everything that happens throughout the history of the world, whether good or evil, does so according to God's good and prescribed plan. They would say... Everything that happens, whether good or evil, is all part of God's prescribed, ordained plan moving us forward. Author Greg Boyd calls this a blueprint worldview where he says many Christians have concluded that in order for God to accomplish his goal for creation, everything that happens in world history must somehow fit into his sovereign plan. In other words, he says uh, everything is part of God's mysterious purpose. And this is why we use cliches and trite phrases when tragedy strikes someone. And we say something like, well, God's ways are higher than our own. Or God has his purposes. Or God has his reason. Or there is a purpose for everything. Because the worldview assumes that whether ordained or allowed, there is a specific design, divine reason for every occurrence throughout the history of mankind. Everything is with a divine purpose for a divine reason and with a purpose regardless of what that looks like throughout history because they would say God is always in control of everything and God always gets his way I have one major struggle with that my struggle is it becomes exceedingly difficult for me to reconcile the evil in our world with my conviction with my belief in the perfect goodness of God I struggle with this because if we are going to say that God, that everything that happens, whether good or evil, is all part of God's ordained, prescribed plan, moving, his, moving forward, then ultimately the blame for this kind of settles on God. And that God is uh, using it, ordaining it, prescribing it, however you want to, to, to call it, that God is using that evil or that God is 
okay with that evil upon creation and that he is actually moving his plan forward through that evil. I struggle with that concept because it does not fit with my idea of God being good and just and loving and kind. And I've been wrestling with this for some time. This, uh, my, my conviction and wanting my theology to line up with my firm belief that God is a good God. And so I struggle with this idea and trying to land on something that, 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 that works. Pick up the paper on any given day and look at the death and carnage and hate and disease and natural disaster. And if God is in control, if all this, of this is part of God's ordained good plan, or that they would say, well, God uses evil as part of his plan, allows it as part of his plan, either way how you want to slice it. It really kind of begins to paint God in a different light for me. And I struggle with that. The blueprint worldview, it's just not consistent what I believe about a good, loving nature of God. The only worldview that makes sense to me is a warfare worldview that says God is being opposed by a spiritual enemy who, for a time, has authority and power to bring chaos upon creation. Which means some or much of what we see is outside of God's control in that he neither ordained it or allowed it for some greater good in his meticulous master plan. Meaning that God is not involved with it at all that there is a cosmic force that is coming against God and all that is good. Let me, let me push you on this a little bit. Why would Jesus teach us to pray, thy kingdom come and thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, if his will is already done? If God always gets what he wants, and if his will is always accomplished, why would Jesus pray, God, let your will which is being done in heaven, let it come down to earth and let your will be established here? It kind of gives the idea that, that God's will is not always being accomplished here on earth. That there is an opposing force coming against him. And if God's will is not always accomplished here on earth, we would have to say that God does not always get what he wants, at least for the time being. 2 Peter 3.9 says, The Lord is not slow about keeping his promises, as some count slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, listen, not wanting for anyone to perish, but for all to come to repentance. So we see, we, we see God's, God's desire, God's plan, God's heart is that no one would perish. Well, are people perishing? Yeah, all the time. Because there is a kingdom that is opposing the kingdom of God. God is not getting what he wants in this case. Scripture often depicts God as being frustrated by the way his people resist his plan. In Matthew 23, we see Jesus weeping over Jerusalem because they will not accept who he is. He says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who killed the prophets and stoned these sent to you. How often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings and you were not willing. This is Jesus weeping over Jerusalem because he's not his heart, what he wants, what he desires is not being accomplished. Because there is an opposing kingdom that is blinding the hearts and mind of the people he has come for. We see God's frustration in, uh, with Israel in Ezekiel 22, where he says, I looked for one person to rise up and stand in the gap. I looked for one person who would stand and pray. One person so that disaster could be avoided. And not one person stepped forward. And here's God saying, look, my desire was to find one person. And there was no one. And so again, God's not getting what he wants or even what he desires at that moment, at 
that time. John summarizes the struggle with this in John 3.19. He says, this is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people loved darkness instead of light. Because God's will is being opposed. Because there are kingdoms at war in a supernatural realm that bleeds into the natural realm. And so I understand this may fly in the face for some of you. Uh, because we have come to believe somewhere around the 4th century uh, that because God is omnipotent and God is strong, that God must be in control of everything. And if God is in control of everything, then He must be in control of the evil that we see. Prior to the 4th century, that really wasn't the view of the church and and how the, the, the church felt about this. We'll talk about that in a little bit. So does God always get what He wants? I would have to say no, at least for the time being. This is a warfare worldview. Because God is being opposed. Now, let's be really clear about this. It is not because God lacks power or ability. God is omnipotent. God is powerful. I agree with all of that. I believe it's because God abides by some laws that he created. He created free will agents with the ability to choose. And angelic beings, uh, Satan rebelled, took a third of those angelic beings with him. And we would ask, well, why would God allow something like that to happen? Because God's, uh, the, the, the construct or the confines that God works in is that all free agents have the choice to choose whether to worship God or whether to worship evil. All of them have a choice to either do good or to do evil. And God allows that to play out because we are free will agents. And so this is our struggle. It's like a... Uh, uh, it's not because God doesn't have the ability or the strength or the power to put an end to it. Could God put an end to all the evil that we see today? Immediately, absolutely. Could God intervene and stop someone from imposing evil upon the innocents? Absolutely. But God says that idea of free choice must play itself out. It's like a world superpower engaged in a war with a third world country. So think of it as the U.S., America, uh, at war with Afghanistan. We've been at war with Afghanistan for like since the 1820s, it seems. Something, I don't know how long it's been, right? Long time. And we would ask ourselves, do we have the power to end the war immediately through use of non-conventional or nuclear weapons? Absolutely. That conflict could be ended, could cease today if we chose to. However... We refrain because we abide by the rules we have established which limits our use of power. And that's almost what I see how God is interacting in creation right now. That does God have the ability and the power? Is he omnipotent and could he step in? And will he step in one day? Absolutely. But for the time being, there is an opposing kingdom that is coming against God and all that is good. And we are in that struggle. We are in that battle. And we play a part in that battle. This essentially means, uh, is what a warfare worldview is. God's kingdom being opposed by an evil force, which for the time being wreaks havoc upon all of creation. And while God is able to put an end to evil at any time, he he abides by his self-imposed boundaries that allow for free choice. Now, some of you may be thinking, if warfare worldview is correct, has God lost control? If God always doesn't get what he wants, if God's will is, is, is not always done, has he lost control? And should we be concerned that God's good intentions will not be fulfilled? Well, I believe that God is not 
the creator is not using uh, evil, is not ordaining evil that we see in any part. I don't see that as part of God's plan. I also believe and I'm sure that God can counter anything that Satan throws at him. So let's be really clear on this. Is God sovereign? Absolutely. Does God win in the end? Absolutely. Does God ultimately control the future? Absolutely. Uh, Will he bring about his future plan? Absolutely. Does God counter the activity of evil to bring about his good plan? Absolutely. Has every evil act throughout history been part of God's sovereign, meticulous plan? There I would say no. That that is the result of of an opposition coming against the kingdom of God and God really saying, I'm just not getting my way in this right now. That... Uh, uh, that the desires of God are not always accomplished here in our present time. Watch how God counters the plans of Satan to bring about his future plans. We'll go all the way back to the beginning. God created angelic beings, and it was good. Free will agents that had the choice between worshiping God or not. Lucifer reacted by rebelling against God, taking a third of the angelic beings with him. Right now, we would have to ask: Was that part of God's plan originally? Was I mean, is that that like, yes, this is my plan. This is what I'm doing. No, but then God counters the evil plan of Satan by speaking creation into existence and handcrafting humanity that whose purpose would now be to worship God. It was almost as if God saying, "You're taking a third. Fine, I'm creating a, a, a being who has a free will, but that they will worship me. I will be their God. They will worship me." And then Satan rebelled against that move and got Adam and Eve to turn over the earth to his control, introducing sin into uh, God's flawless creation, separating God from his creation. God countered that with mercy by providing a redemptive covering so that humanity could continue to call upon the name of God, even in our sin. Satan countered against God by influencing Cain to kill Abel, thus leaving only an evil, godless lineage. God countered Satan's plan with the birth of of Seth so that people could once again begin to call upon the name of God. Satan came against that move with the birth of Nimrod, who built Babylon and and the Assyria Empire and the Tower of Babel, which was building a religion in defiance of God. And God said, if that's going to be your move, then I'm going to Ur, the land of the Chaldeans, and I'm finding a guy named Abram, and I will say, Abram, out of your seed, I will create a people for myself. If they're going to worship, uh, if they're going to create a religion in defiance of me, then I will find my own people. And what does he say? I will be their God, and they will be my people, and the entire earth will be blessed through them one day. Satan moved against God by enslaving the people of God in Egypt. God countered Satan's move by raising up a man named Moses who he sent to Pharaoh with a message that said, let my people go. And here is this move, counter move that you see throughout all of creation. But I do not see God as being the one of saying, yeah, this evil is a good thing because it's going to move my plan forward. It is Satan who's bringing evil, opposing the kingdom of God and God saying, whatever you got, I'll one up you. And this is the Old Testament. Move, counter, move, move, counter, move. We come to the end of the Old Testament. There's 400 years of silence. The New Testament opens immediately. We begin to see the lineage leading to someone, something great. It says, Azor, the father of Zadok. Zadok is the father of Achim. Achim, the father of Elihud. Elihud, the father of Eleazar. Eleazar, the father of Mathen. Mathen, the father of Jacob. Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary. Mary was the mother of Jesus, who was called the Messiah. 
Up until this point, God is using men and women to move his kingdom forward, even with the kingdom conflict coming against him. And eventually God says, you know what? It's a mess. I'm coming down there myself. Remember when your parents said, don't make me come back there? Right? This is God saying, "Uh, you made me come back here. Right? And so, listen, Satan counters the birth of the Christ child by killing the un, the, by killing the firstborn child, right? Firstborn male child to try to wipe out the Christ child. Matthew 3, we read the baptism of Jesus, the beginning of his earthly ministry. Satan counters that quickly by tempting Jesus in the desert, saying, hey, you worship me and all the kingdoms of the world could be you, could be yours. Jesus counters Satan with the word of God and said, this isn't going to happen. Three years of move, counter move, Satan sets up his ultimate trap by having Jesus arrested and crucified in the grave. Three days, hope was lost, the disciples vanished, darkness rested over the earth, but God said, I'm about to unleash my finishing move. You'll only get that if you're a gamer. God says, I'm about to unleash my finishing move, and what happens? Three days in the grave, God shakes the tomb and brings life back into a dead body, and Jesus conquers the grave. And so this is the conflict that I see working out. It's not God ordaining evil. It's not God saying uh, the Holocaust had to happen because it's moving my plan forward and I've ordained it. I struggle with that. But I can see God saying, if evil is coming against the world in that way, I will still move my plan forward in an unexpected way because God is always one step ahead, always one move ahead, and will always accomplish his purposes, even with a counter kingdom that is coming against all things that are good. This is the warfare that we find ourselves in. And while God may not always get what he wants today, and I know that sounds like heresy, While God may not always get what he wants today, in the end, God will always get his way. He will always get his way. But we live in the tension that sometimes God is not getting what he wants now because of the forces that are opposing him. And for us to just use trite cliches like, well, God has his ways. I can't tell a mother that comes to me, why did my child get uh, leukemia and die and just say, well, God has higher purposes. We can't understand the ways of God. I can't say that to someone. What I can say is that had nothing to do with God. That is the opposition coming against God. But what God says is one day he promises he will make things right and he will repay the evil. That is the hope that we live in. And that is the unseen battle that is taking place around us. Unlike the blueprint worldview, The warfare worldview does not assume that there is a specific divine reason for what Satan and other evil agents do. To the contrary, God fights these opponents precisely because their purposes are working against his purposes. And so this is where I'm landing today on this topic. You may not agree. You may, you know, just have that idea. Now, everything, everything. I'm okay with that. I think you have to answer some really difficult questions of how does that fit in with the theology of a good God? And maybe you can do that, and, and that's okay. Um, I don't want your faith to run through me, meaning that you need to do some studying for yourself. You need to read for yourself. You need to study on your own. You need to decide for yourself. Your faith needs to be your faith. And so sometimes I'll share something with you that I'm wrestling, and it's not to say, oh, that pastor's crazy and you're running out of here. No, maybe you just need to start studying it for yourself. 
And you land where you land, and you'll come up and you'll share with them. I was like, man, that's awesome. I'm so glad that you spent time to dive into this. And you're going to say, well, why don't you agree with me? I'm going to say, because I don't have to agree with you. We don't have to agree on everything, right? So let me, let me leave you with this. Let me leave you with some of the thoughts of our early church fathers. They have the thought of this, uh, their idea of the reality of the world in between. The church fathers assumed that in between humans and God, there exists a vast society of intelligent, free, spiritual beings whose behavior significantly impacts human existence. The early fathers are all in general agreement that the key to understanding evil in the world that has been created and yet sustained by an all-good, all-powerful God is to be understood through this world in between. There was a shift in faith where suddenly we had to then come to grips with this idea, well, if God is omnipotent and if God is all-powerful, then God must be in control of everything. And we assigned him control. Part of that is because in, in secular worship, they're small g gods. They assigned control to them. And if they had control, they must be in control of everything. And so we just looked at God and well, look, he must be in control of everything. And this was really not the idea in the early church. Evil does not go back to God. Early church fathers saw clearly that this freedom entails that God is not meticulous in meticulous control of the cosmos. There is no coercion in God, a statement that sums up the conviction of this period. And this implies that evil cannot in any way be traced back to some secret dimension of God's omnipotence, will. That not one author in the pre-Augustinian period expresses any of the awkward discomfort we find in trying to affirm a good divine purpose for particular blatant evil events. It was somewhere in the 4th century that that began to change. Satan and the cosmic structure of evil. Evil, in the view of our early church fathers, was not understood as simply something that occurred in an otherwise pure and pristine creation. Rather, the creation itself was understood by these theologians to be adversely and radically affected on a fundamental level by cosmic forces of evil. Another way of making this point is to note the remarkable scope of authority that many of these fathers ascribed to Satan. Their view of the present cosmos was such that they saw everything as being caught up in a cosmic struggle between God and Satan. And this is the warfare worldview that we find ourselves in. Now, next week, I want us to look at uh, how Jesus interacted with this concept of a warfare worldview. And then we will close next week with talking about how we interact, how we engage in a spiritual warfare in an unseen realm, and how we go about that. So uh, I realize maybe drop some things on you that maybe you've never thought of. Maybe for some of you, you're thinking this finally kind of makes a little bit of, of sense in, in, in this idea. Um, I, I'm hoping you will wrestle with it. Listen, if you've never wrestled with anything in your faith, you're really not working on your faith. I mean, I'm telling you, the more you read and the more you're, 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 you're striving and the more you're trying to learn, the more that your faith is challenged and stretched, and it really needs to be. Because your faith is strengthened and you land in a position that, that is, is stronger than before you were challenged. And so maybe today some of, your, some of you were challenged. That's not necessarily a bad thing. Stand with me. Uh, one of the things that uh, I didn't mention to you is on October 28th, uh, our service times will be changing, uh, in part because first service is busting. 
uh, not only in here, but in our children's ministry, and they are at or above capacity. So on October 28th, our service times are changing. Instead of 9, 30, 11, we're going to be changing to 9 to 10.30. Our hope is to balance out our numbers, that we can uh, make some room for some growth. That typically comes in January. If that doesn't work, we're going to be adding another service, uh, but we're going to try to change some service times, hopefully even uh, this out. We'll see how it's going to work, but uh, you'll hear a lot more about that coming up. But plan on October 28th. Instead of 11 o'clock, it'll be a 1030 service. All right, join me as we pray then. So Father, uh, I I would just ask that um, your truth would reign supreme here uh, as we wrestle with a really difficult topic that has been wrestled with for centuries and centuries, uh, trying to understand this idea of the evil that is around us. And I would pray, Holy Spirit, that you would speak and instruct us and that we would have truth and understanding of truth. I pray that uh, moving our faith forward would be the sure conviction that you are good and you are loving and you are kind. And that's what I want people to grasp. I want people to understand that you are long-suffering and that you forgive sin over and over and are a God of third, fourth, fifth, sixth chances. And that you are gracious and compassionate. And so I pray for our church as we wrestle with this, that you would give wisdom. I pray that the hand of God would rest upon you, the face of God would turn towards you and be gracious to you. I pray that this week you would experience the voice and the presence of the Holy Spirit speaking to you, encouraging you, loving you, guiding you. I pray that over you. In the name of Jesus, amen. All right, church, next week we will start with part two on this. Uh, Thank you for not yelling out anything and throwing anything at me. God bless you guys. See you next week. If, you're, uh, if I've never met you, I'd love to meet you up front. Or if you'd like prayer, I'd love to have someone pray for you.